Merry almost Christmas. Just a few hours from now, starting at four o'clock this afternoon, we'll begin our liturgical celebrations of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, over 2,000 years ago in the town of Bethlehem. But we don't want to omit any of the important steps leading up toward that celebration. Least of all this, the fourth Sunday of Advent. So if you came expecting to hear a Christmas sermon, you'll just have to come back later for one of our other services. It's very fitting that this morning, before we begin celebrating the actual birth of Jesus Christ, we take a look at the woman, the, the young girl really, who God chose to carry and then bear his son. What can we learn from Luke's gospel about Mary, the mother of Jesus? What qualities does she demonstrate throughout her life that we should aspire to imitate? Let's take a look at Mary, a model for all Christians. Mary, the mother of Jesus, exemplifies what it means to live a life of faith and devotion to God. She's not mentioned often in the Bible, apart from the birth narratives and then the crucifixion. Yet what we are told and what we see reveals someone whose life exemplifies all that we are taught in the Old and New Testaments about the character of a life devoted to God. Let's take a look at some of the virtues that Mary demonstrates, beginning with Luke's account of the Annunciation. When the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, she is undoubtedly a very young girl. She might even have been as young as, as 14 or 15. She's not from a prestigious family. Her family lives in Nazareth, a town of Galilee, an area known for being a crossroads of travel and trade. Mary is betrothed to one of the upstanding Jewish men of her community, a craftsman by the name of Joseph. In Jewish tradition at that time, a betrothal, a promise of marriage between a man and a woman was much more serious and binding than the modern engagement. Although the couple was, was of course not yet living under the same roof and they were expected to maintain chastity, they were viewed as having been joined in a holy bond. Vows had been exchanged and the bride price promised to the father. Typically, the betrothal would last for one year, during which time a bride-to-be would prepare for her wedding and for embarking on married life. The groom would have been preparing a place to live with his new bride, whether on their own or in an addition to his father's house. There would have been a sense of great joy and anticipation, not only in their homes, but within the whole community. Weddings were very much a communal affair. During that year of waiting and preparing, on what was likely a, a very ordinary day, Mary receives the most extraordinary visit. Gabriel, one of the archangels of God, appears before her and announces that she is to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah, the very Son of God. 
Mary's response to the angel and her attitude and behavior in the many challenging years to follow demonstrate four important qualities in the life of all who seek to know, love, and serve the God of the Bible. The qualities that Mary exhibits and that can be seen in the lives of all the saints are, first of all, a glad submission to God's will. Secondly, trust in God. And third, faithfulness to God. Glad submission to God's will, trust in God, and faithfulness to God. Countless artists over the ages have created their impression of what Mary saw when the angel Gabriel appeared to her. Some picture the angel Gabriel as huge and, and shining, with, with armor even, and, and perhaps with wings. Others depict him in a more natural semblance of a man, though glowing with a heavenly fire. We can't know for sure what Gabriel looked like, but we can know that Mary's very natural, immediate response to this visitation was one of fear. Of course, she'd, she'd heard stories of angels in the Hebrew scriptures, but I don't think she ever expected to see one, especially one bringing this very strange message. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary may not have even taken in those, those words of favor from the Lord, being so overwhelmed. The angel then reassures her, as it seems angels often do, with the words, fear not. And now he tells her again, you have found favor with God. She must have wondered, what does that mean, that I have found favor with God? Then Gabriel tells her exactly what the favor of the Lord will mean for her. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Was Mary even able to comprehend how the Lord was about to bless her? Could it be true? Could she, of all the Jewish women, all the Jewish girls throughout the many centuries, could she truly be the one who would be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah, the Redeemer of the world? It's here that Mary demonstrates that first godly quality, a glad submission to the will of God. Mary doesn't say, wait a minute, could you explain this a little more? She doesn't say, can, can you tell me exactly what the implications of this are gonna be for my life plans? Nor does she say, you know, that sounds like a nice opportunity. Can, can I sleep on that and get back to you? No, she simply says, whatever God wants, I am his servant, I am here. She does ask one question, not in, in doubt, but in, in wonderment, in incredulousness. How can this be, since I have not known man? When the angel tells her that God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, will father this child, Mary accepts that pronouncement. 
She may not have fully understood it, but she recognized that this was indeed a divine action being set in motion. And she responds in all humility, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Mary demonstrates the appropriate response to anything that the Lord asks of us, a willing submission and obedience to God. When Mary gives her yes to God's will, she can't possibly comprehend what this is going to mean for her and for her life, much less for the whole world. There's a a beautiful contemporary Christmas song that I'm sure you've heard called, Mary, Did You Know? The first verse asks, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? That this child that you delivered would soon deliver you? And one of the most poignant lines of all, Mary, did you know that when you kiss this little baby, you kiss the face of God? The song goes on to ask a number of of similar questions, all based on the things that we now know Jesus did and who he was. What that meant, both for the people whom he encountered and for all of us. And just to inject a little bit of humor, I saw a very funny meme online the other day from a pastor who wrote, To save everyone time this year, I've made a biblically correct list of everything mentioned in the song, Mary, Did You Know? What she knew and didn't know in order. No, yes, yes, yes. No, 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 yes. No, 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 no. Yes, yes, no, no. You're welcome. In reality, this song is not investigative journalism. The song shares what must have been Mary's sense of wonderment that God would come to earth as a tiny baby born to this young, ordinary Jewish girl. The song implicitly asks, do do we, the contemporary listener, grasp the magnitude of the incarnation? Do we comprehend, as, as we picture that vulnerable little baby born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, that this small child is God incarnate, the redeemer of the world, the one who will someday return in glory to fully establish his kingdom here on earth. Mary could not have possibly perceived in that moment when she said yes to God, all that her submission to God's will would mean. It may have flashed through her mind that she would face derision and shame as an unwed pregnant girl. But she could not have possibly imagined the horrific pain she would experience 30-something years later as she watched her now-grown son dying a shameful death on the cross, condemned by Jewish and Roman authorities alike. My guess is that in that moment of being overwhelmed by the the glory and the power of God, conveyed by the archangel Gabriel, nothing else mattered. All that matters was the invitation before her to take part in God's magnificent plan of salvation. And Mary said, yes, yes, I am willing. 
is that something that we ourselves can say to the Lord? Jesus said, unless you're willing to take up your cross and deny yourself, you cannot follow me. We cannot live a faith-filled Christian life if we put any kind of conditions on our acceptance of God's will for us. We can't say, okay, Lord, I'll serve you, but, but only if it's not gonna interfere with my own plans for my life. We can't say, Lord, if you'll explain to me in great detail exactly what this is going to entail and what it's gonna cost me, I'll do a benefits lost analysis and get back to you. Now, like Mary, we need to be so submitted to the will of God that we ourselves say with gladness, behold your servant. Let it be done to me according to God's word. How was it that Mary was able to make that joyful ascent to God's will? The answer to that question is the second quality of a faithful follower of God that Mary demonstrates, trust, trust. Mary had to trust, first of all, that God not only could accomplish this miraculous feat, but that he would do it, and that he would sustain her throughout, no matter what. Mary needed to trust the truth of God's word as revealed in the Hebrew scriptures and as conveyed from generation to generation in the shared stories of her people. Mary had to trust that God would be faithful to his promise to send a Messiah, the Son of God, who would rescue his people from the oppression of sin and death. Perhaps hardest of all, Harder to believe than that God would fulfill his promise, prophesied all the way back in Genesis, was to believe that God would do it through her, a simple, ordinary person. This is what tangles us up sometimes. Sure, we believe that God can fulfill his promises, but do we believe that he will? And do we believe that we have a role to play in his eternal plan? Surely that can't be. We're, we're just normal, fault-ridden people. Surely God could not use us for something of inter eternal importance. Could he? And, and even if we might have a role in God's plan, can we trust him with our future, with our present well-being? What if this doesn't go the way we want or expect? Can we still trust that God is good that he is loving and all-powerful, and that he is always victorious, even if our personal life does not look victorious, and it certainly does not feel good. Mary would have had no idea at the moment she said yes to God's plan of just how much she herself would suffer, of how much her submission would cost. It was her trust in God and in his goodness that gave her the desire and the ability, the willingness to say yes. That trust is what made it possible for Mary to live her whole life demonstrating the third characteristic of a godly life, namely faithfulness. In spite of the unexpected and challenging circumstances of her pregnancy, Mary was overjoyed that God had chosen her, a humble village girl, to be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. Her song, The Praise to the Lord, is one of the most beautiful passages of poetry in the Bible. It's called the Magnificat because it begins with the words, 
My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations shall call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. At that moment, Mary was not thinking about what difficulties might come in the future, any more than most mothers rejoicing in a pregnancy or thinking about challenges they may face as their child grows into an adult. She simply trusted that the Lord would be faithful to her, no matter what happened, just as he had remained faithful to his chosen people from the very beginning. What's more, Mary would have had in mind the prophecies of Isaiah and others who spoke of a king above all kings who would restore the kingdom of David and make it an eternal kingdom. All the dreams she must have had for her son. As we all now realize, however, God's plan was not for Jesus to reestablish a temporal kingdom with all the trappings of power and wealth. God's plan was for Jesus to suffer and die, thereby inaugurating the kingdom of heaven on earth and providing for our eternal life with him. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple for his dedication at eight days old, the priest Simeon spoke a prophetic word to Mary, saying, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your soul also. A sword would pierce her own soul, her own heart. Mary must have reflected on that often as she experienced the uncertainty, the pain and the sorrow that came with her motherhood of Jesus. How did Mary respond when she, Joseph, and the baby Jesus had to flee for their lives to Egypt? How did she bear the pain of knowing that countless baby boys under the age of two had been slain by Herod in Bethlehem as he sought to eradicate any possible competition for his throne? Did she hear the weeping of the mothers whose babies were slaughtered? Were there times during Jesus' life as a child and, and then as an adult that Mary thought to herself, if this is God's plan, why is it so hard? Why is it so painful? I wonder how long it was before Mary began to realize that not only was Jesus not going to overthrow the oppressive rule of the Romans over the people of Israel, but that he was going to be despised and brought down by their very own ruling priests and magistrates. We're not told what were the thoughts and emotions that Mary had during Jesus' life on earth. All we know is that through it all, Mary was faithful. It seems that she was a regular part of the lives of the disciples. She would have heard, seen or heard about the crowds that followed Jesus and the acclamations when he performed his miracles. She would have also known that the priests of the synagogue in Nazareth tried to throw her son off a cliff following his first sermon. Thank God that was not the response of the congregation to my first sermon. 
She would have known that they sought to kill Jesus after he called forth Lazarus from the grave. When her son was tried and sentenced to death, Mary remained faithful. At his death, when all the men but John had fled, Mary stood at the foot of the cross. We need to remember that at that moment when Jesus died, neither Mary nor the disciples expected him to rise from the dead. Now, after the resurrection, the followers of Jesus would look back at the scriptures and at what Jesus had said and realize that the prophecy of his resurrection had been there all along. But when Jesus died and the sky went dark, as far as Mary and, and the disciples and the followers of Jesus knew, it was all over. They had lost everything. Yet through it all, Mary remained faithful. She remained faithful to the Lord, faithful to his promise, faithful to the task which God had called her. When the reality she experienced contradicted all of her hopes and expectations, she remained faithful. How about us? How about you and, and me? How do we react when we expect to have a happy ending or we expect to have things go one way and that's not what happens, that's not what we're experiencing. How are our hearts and minds positioned with God when we feel like we've done everything he asked of us and yet we continue to experience tremendous pain and disappointment and loss in our lives? Are we inclined to question God's goodness or his faithfulness when we've lived a godly life to the best of our ability, yet the circumstances of our life continues to worsen in spite of, or maybe even because of, our faith in Jesus Christ? It's okay to ask, as Job did, why do the wicked prosper? It's okay to cry out, as did the psalmist, how long, O Lord, how long? No doubt Mary asked those very questions and expressed those very emotions. We can mourn, we can question, we can even get angry at God. It's all okay. The only thing that's not okay is to turn our backs on the Lord saying, what good does it do me to follow you? All I've known is sorrow. Mary knew who Jesus was. She knew that she knew that she knew that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God come to save the world. No amount of pain or suffering could change the fact that he alone was her hope and her salvation. Faithful she began, faithful she remained. Mary's faithfulness is the highest model of how our hearts and our minds and our lives are to be oriented toward God regardless of our circumstances. During this Christmas season, as we rejoice at the birth of the Savior of the world, God incarnate, let us reflect on and seek to emulate those three saintly traits exhibited by his earthly mother, Mary. Glad submission to God's will, trust in God, and faithfulness to God. Let us pray. 
Lord God, we, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Move our hearts, Lord, to respond as Mary did to whatever you ask of us, whether it seems small or big, that we would say, I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your will. Fill our hearts, Lord, with trust in you, and particularly in Jesus Christ, in his goodness, in his faithfulness, in his power, in the outworking of his plan in this world, whether we see it or not. Fill us with that trust that we too will be faithful to the very end and that when someday, Lord, we come before your throne, you will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.